The death of Prince Philip is a telling moment here in the UK and perhaps of interest to those further afield as well because I think it says a huge amount about how what Owen Barfield identified as the evolution of consciousness plays out in our shared life. It's a moment of transition. Death often brings things that during the everyday are hidden to the surface. And my sense is that is what's going on as people discuss his significance, how his loss is mourned, the role of the media, what the future of the monarchy might look like. All these questions are different ways of trying to get at a core issue, which I felt was illuminated by looking at these two images. Now, the first is a very ancient image. It comes from the rule of Akhenaten, the heretic pharaoh in ancient Egypt, where he drew power to himself because of his direct relation with the Aten, with the sun, and focused all life on himself and his family and tried to form a new cult in ancient Egypt centred on his worship of the Aten and it looks like the people's worship of him. So compare that with this image of the young royal family, Philip and Elizabeth with their first two children that has been doing the rounds quite a lot since Philip died. And it's very fascinating the similarities, the way the child reaches out to the father, the way that the family is situated under the sky, under the sun. Of course, there are also huge differences. So Philip is now not the pharaoh, he's the consort of a constitutional queen who isn't a ruler in the old sense, certainly isn't a tyrant, but presents herself as an ideal, both as an ideal of how to be a human individual through works of charity and as an ideal of unity for the state as a whole. And trying to tease out how the figure of Akhenaten and his family morphed into the figure of Philip and his family is very fascinating. And this is where Owen Barfield comes in. Because I think a way of understanding it is that, whereas in the ancient world, people understood their identity collectively in the one figure, and so the whole society, economy, religiosity of such times revolves around this one figure, people in the modern world understand that the individual is the prime location of sovereignty. And so things like human rights matter, one person, one vote, everybody equal under the law. If you like, what had been externalised in the pharaoh has now been internalised, so that, for example, someone like Dante can be mitred and crowned lord of himself in the Divine Comedy, when he shows that he can rule himself at the summit of Mount Purgatory. And there's a transitional phase that goes on bringing us from the old dispensation to the modern one that's captured in many traditions. One way that it's explored now is by the rise of the priest king or the divine king in human cultures, which takes place across many parts of the world around the time that the Egyptian pharaohs first started to emerge. 
And the idea here is that whereas in hunter-gatherer societies and maybe in early societies that settled, such as is found at Chattelhoyak, that chiefs become more and more powerful, wealth is increasingly accumulated, and societies move from the older egalitarianism, which is egalitarian because there aren't really individuals wanting to express themselves, but rather each person sees themselves as part of the collective whole. So it's very different from egalitarianism as it would be aspired to now, where each is able to flourish as an individual within the whole. This starts to change with the rise of powerful chiefs and then ultimately kings, even emperors, that absorb the sense of identity previously shared by the clan, the bands, the tribe into themselves and so become supremely powerful and important. And for example, when the old king dies, it's very important to immediately assert that the new king lives in order to preserve the transmission of that identity. But there's inherent instability in these supreme monarchs because if things start to go wrong for the nation, for the group, then there's also one figure to blame and, for example, to ask whether this one figure is still blessed by the god that they might claim to transmit to the group, or whether there might be a better king who could replace the one that seems unable to deliver security. And then there's also a religious side to this, which you see in the historical books of the Hebrew Bible, for example, the first book of Samuel is much about how the people want a king, they want the stability it seems to promise, and yet the prophets, particularly Samuel in this case, protest and interpret that as the people being disloyal to Yahweh, wanting to replace Yahweh with a king. And so you have this old tension that runs throughout the Hebrew Bible of the prophets on the one hand calling people to a faithfulness in God and the priests and the kings on the other hand saying no to be faithful to God is to be faithful to us. Now I think the prophets in a way were bringing the future in because when an individual can trust the divine directly without the mediation of a king is when individuality in our sense starts to be born because the individual's I amness must be well enough formed to mirror the divine I amness and so that that person can begin to get a really re robust, resilient, reliable sense of themselves which in a way is transcendent. It doesn't rely anymore on the success of the country, on the success of the king, even of their own ongoing individual life because they know themselves to be one with the Father would be the Christian way of putting it. And I think this is why Christianity becomes so key as a next phase in this development, which is what Owen Barfield was onto, because Jesus was seen as the figure who was most fully human and because of that full humanity, most completely reflected the divine identity. And it's when those two things join together that individuality, certainly as it came to be understood 
widely around the Mediterranean world found its true foundation and so the Christian dispensation was launched. Christian monarchs of course start to wrestle with this and you have this uneasy transitional period of centuries where the Christian monarch first of all interprets themselves perhaps using the old Hebrew model as divine monarchs, um, certainly the first among equals. But the uneasy tension now is located in terms of the individual's relationship with God. And so what were Hebrew prophets become Christian mystics, figures like, say, St. Francis, who plays out in his very life the direct contact with the divine. And so unleashes what became the Renaissance, when the individual in art, such as, say, the figures of Giotto, or the individual investigating the world in early science, becomes supremely important. And what this means for the monarch in time is what we have now as a constitutional monarchy in the UK, where the Queen and her family are no longer tyrants, but are seen as ideals for us all. And so when she is presented with her husband underneath the divine son, it's as an ideal that all people might aspire to, either in their family life or in their own individuality. Now, of course, this has its own inherent stabilities, as the Queen and Philip knew only too well. And those instabilities also play out in public life, particularly at moments of transition, such as when a royal dies. There's a sense of a gap, a space, maybe even a void people might fear into which a country could fall. Or is that void a wellspring from which a new sense of the country might be born? That's why these debates about republicanism and monarchy always come up at moments such as this. Barfield's take on it is that this is part of the ongoing process of the evolution of human consciousness. And what saves us from the alienation is the realisation that this is all part of a centuries, millennia long unfolding of the human spirit, which can be guided by the way in which enables us to return to God. That's the inner ontological compass by which we can judge a way through the trauma, the trouble of such times. So you might say that the modern world has extended the rights of individuality across the whole population now, not just free men, not even just men, but now women too. And that, of course, is another point of tension in the modern world. For myself, I think a good way of living through such times is to honour the old archetypes, as Jung would have us call them, which means properly mourning the loss of figures like Prince Philip, because as you do, as you do that, you're also honouring a part of yourself, a part of the psyche that's in you and is in your fellows. And it's when we honour the past that actually we're best able to turn around and step into a new future, because the energies of the past are then released to inform how we might be tomorrow.